Cradleine Network. I am the law, and this is the 38th episode of Big Mag One. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Eli, and this is the podcast where two Americans patrol their way through the Judge Dredd magazine. This episode, we're covering the magazine for January, February, and March 1994. That's volume two, issues 45 to 48. This episode, we got some excellent dread one-offs as the taxidermist also finishes his rush for the gold. We'll get Mystic and Calhab, go antiquing with Harkin Burr, and see the savannah with the Pan-African judges. And if you want to read along with us, you can find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 20, Taxidermist Collection, and the Judge Dredd Magazine Issue 350. How are you doing this week, Eli? Or this episode, I should say. Doing great. Thanks for having me. As always. Of course. Yeah, listen. New new year on the podcast. Getting started in 1994. Very exciting. <laughs> um, and, you know, we're p- getting it through. Doing these doing these progs. It's going to be great. Or these, uh, not progs. God dang it. Magazines. <laughs> yes, magazines. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about. All right. And when you talk about the magazine, Eli, it's the Judge Dredd magazine, of course. And that means we got to start off with story one, Judge Dredd. First first story here is uh, It's a Dreadful Life, it's called. Script robot Robbie Morrison and Jim Alexander. Art robot Colin McNeil. Letting robot John Beeston. And this story is continuing on. From our previous Big Bag One episode. Um, and um, when we left that one, uh, Judge Dredd, or we were in the middle of sort of this it's a wonderful life situation, what the world would be like if Judge Dredd had never existed. It's a grim place. And if, of course, it's all hosted by that evil top headed Judge Death. Ooh. Um, we start off by seeing my guy, Otto Sump, who is this. Uh, I, I don't know if. I, I think. I, I might have shown you one or two of his adventures that right at the beginning, Eli, but Otto Sump's this guy who is unnaturally ugly. Mm. And oh, then yes. Started, started a fad among the mega citizens to also become ugly like him, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Sort of, I, I do I mean, these crazy that now. fads and stuff. Yeah. Um, we see that he's teamed up with PJ Maybe, who I don't think I've talked, we've seen that much in the magazine at all, Eli. PJ Maybe is this kid who's like a a sneaky serial killer who is one of judge dreads like or was one of judge dreads big um adversaries basically he's he's died recently i as i believe or he's in prison something like that something bad's happened to him he's not having a good time um (laughs) i I have to re-familiarize myself terrible anyway auto sump He's selling three-legged pants to freaks with three legs. And he's teamed up with PJ maybe to do it. But be careful, Otto, because PJ's offering you a drink and he likes to poison people and takes over their businesses and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) I should also mention that I'm pretty sure Otto Sump would himself be dead if Dredd wasn't around because Dredd saved his life during Mm. um, his initial introduction story. Anyway, 
<laughs> Meanwhile, the Death Fist Stan Lee is now just Stan Lee doing kung fu movies in the middle of the rad wastes. Oh, he's sold out to Hollywood, Eli. It's very sad. <laughs> and then we see that Judgment Day does indeed happen on this Earth as well. Uh, we see uh, Rico escaping from an exploding Mega City 2 on T-Rex back. And in this rea- reality, Sabat is taken out by a coalition of bad guys. And again, the nerd in me has to point out that a couple of these villains, like a Titan, like a uh, a cybernetic nose Judge Grice and stuff, wouldn't actually be here or even be villains without the direct intervention of mm. Judge Dredd. Mm. So probably wouldn't actually be here. But don't don't worry about it. Okay, this th- this is. Yeah, anyway, they take out Sabat because this world is theirs for evil, not his, Eli. Back off. Don't horn in on our action. They cut off his head and Mean Machine box it into the jaws of Satanus the Dinosaur. But suddenly, they're all caught up in a time bomb and disappear because the homie Johnny Alpha is here to arrest them for all their future crimes. Oh, yeah. The day is saved even if Dread wasn't, even if Dread doesn't exist. Man, that's a bummer. <laughs> this leads Death to a monologue where he just says, like, listen, Dread, you know, even if you don't take these guys out, they'll still be taken out. Your life's pointless. Give up. Give someone else a shot. And there's a really interesting image here where we see Dread's face and then in the, like, so we see half of Dread's face and then there's a panel and the other half of Dread's face is a mechanismo. Right, Like, yeah. ooh, give, up, give it up to someone else like this robot dude. Yeah, I thought that was uh, really interesting. And also, I gave myself points for recognizing mechanismo immediately. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very much, this has very much been an undercurrent of the magazine, I think, up to this point. So it is interesting to see. Um, this then leads to a vision of an arm to the teeth, Walter the Wobot, and that's enough to snap Dread back to reality. Nice try, but I'm not buying it. And he does what you normally do, of course, which is uh, he boots Judge Death right in the junk. Right. And does it hard enough to uh, snap back to reality, where he's lying in the snow, having recovered from eating a pie from a pie cart. <laughs> <laughs> they have these in Eli in a, in a England, Eli, just around Christmas time, especially people walking around yeah. with with pies they sell you, you know, to, to enjoy a Christmas treat or whatever. They yeah. usually don't make you hallucinate. Uh, okay. That is a that is an interesting addition here, uh, and that's why Judge <laughs> Dredd calls back up to the Frank Capra block here. Frank Capra, of course, the director of it, the Order for Life movie. To arrest this guy for adding hallucinogens to pies. And as he takes him away, the citizens are like, Oh, have a heart, Judge Dredd. How about some peace and goodwill? And Judge Dredd can just smile and say, Sorry, citizens. It's a dreadful life. And he actually, yeah, one of the few Dredd smiles that I've seen. This one seems fitting. Usually I'm not a fan of Dredd smiling. This one I'm like, yeah, busting people and, you know, he's a little high. It's, It's good. Fine, yeah. Very, you know, Christmas time is when you'd hope to get a smile from Dread. Probably the only time of the year, pretty much. Right, yes. Uh, but yeah, very interesting. <laughs> I like the story, although, as I said, I, whenever I, I know I didn't w- watch a, um, a Wonderful Life, so the references were a little lost on me. I understood the premise, 
but my yeah. criticism of time travel shenanigans would not allow me to enjoy it as much as I feel like I should have. <laughs> I mean, I'll definitely say that this that that this story is very much a gift to longtime Judge mm-hmm. Dread readers, where they yes. sort of you know can see all these characters and kind of get them all in there and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. it's always fun when you know just these old baddies get brought back in, you know, just because normally they're sort of, they come to a final, so to a final, sorry, not, not, don't, don't use that term. Sorry. <laughs> they come to a final end. And mm. because of that, you don't really see them again, except for fantasy and hallucination stories and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of uh, what it turned out to. And it was, it was fun. I've been uh, recently yeah. watching a uh, dark, which is like this uh, um, show where there's this, quantum dimension time travel multiple timeline story right and it's right. uh i've been just getting my mind blown by that so my tolerance is just really low for time travel i'm like one thing doesn't make sense i'm like i'm out of here i can't do it so <laughs> i'm sure when we come back and review this later i'll come with fresh eyes open heart feeling the christmas spirit <laughs> Yeah, yeah, No, listen, the next timeline, Conrad and Eli, are going to be a whole different situation. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. I hate those guys so much, Eli. <laughs> I hate all the alternate versions of me. And they all hate me, so it's fine. Listen, we're going to fight it out. But, uh, you know, uh, talking about final ends, we continue to our next Dread story, Bury My Knee at Wounded Heart. Scripted by John Wagner, art about Peter Doherty, letter about Tom Frame. Uh, beyond the pun, this story doesn't have much to do with the D. Jones book, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, which is about the history of um, the oppression of Native Americans in, in, in U.S. history. I guess maybe they both deal with, you know, being under the boot of a, of a fascist government, I guess. But mm-hmm. that, that's a squeaker. That's not as good as you'd like it to be, honestly. <laughs> this is a good story, though. In a sun-filled room... Miss or Mr. Knee, Mr. Bub Knee sits with the body of his dead wife, Rosie. They've been married for 91 years. She died of old age at 122. A med robot and a human mortician arrive and inform Knee that his wife will be remanded to recycle within the next 24 hours. But the thought of her being processed there is abhorrent to him. Um... Because um, and the only way to get her out is to pay like a 950 credit release fee, a burial fee of 500 and, or 5995 credits money. He definitely doesn't have, but he can't. So he can't afford to bury her with no choice left. He takes his life savings to a back alley droid hire and soon at the wounded knee ceremony. Or, or a cemetery, or at the, sorry, at the Wounded Heart Cemetery, knee and the droid break in, find a fresh grave, and start digging it up to inter Rosie with the wealthy current occupant. Dread, of course, arrives on the scene, catches knee in the axe, and arrests him without much trouble for reverse grave robbing? It's not clear what the exact crime is here, but it's, it's not legal, I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> Knee, however, begs for mercy for his wife. He said, you know, he says like, hey, I'm poor. You know, I don't want my wife to get turned into gym mats or whatever. How is it fair that the rich people can avoid this fate? And I can't. Is that really justice that I can't give my wife a decent burial? I have to go to prison for it? <laughs> Dread, though, won't be moved. Of course, the law is the law. And we see Rosie on the recite conveyor belt as Mr. Knee, Dread, and another judge look on. 
But as she's going down the belt at the very last minute, Dredd stops it. He has Rose, Rose's body removed from the belt and buried in wounded heart and yells the other judge for questioning this. Nee asks why and Dredd says even the judges make mistakes sometimes. But Nee's still doing time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like I, I can't do this justice though, Eli, because the narration's really the key to this story. Um, it's from the perspective of uh, of Mr. Knee, and I really feel like John Wagner's a great job of like making you f- feel like for his wife and what they've been through, basically, like the anger and the sadness that being in this situation it, it, it is like 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 brings out of him and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a really neat, it's it's a really fun story, and this one often gets mentioned for like top single issue dread stories, like mm-hmm. ones where there's sort of you know. Just one self-contained moment, you know? Yes, yes. it definitely uh, is uh, very strong and powerful. I think the art has a lot to do with it as well. The use of lighting absolutely, and absolutely. Uh, it definitely makes things feel more grounded and weighty. Even um, at the cemetery, the uh, drastic shadows that are cast on everything uh, just make things more cinematic. Uh, but no, it is very well executed. Absolutely, yeah, and I think Doherty also does a good job of yeah, just making Nee seem very, very small and sad. Mm-hmm. You know, Judge is of course very big. Also, shout out to this mortician character that just looks like the most evil, like civil servant guy mm-hmm. as well, like just <laughs> grinning and like steepling his fingers, looking over his glasses as he says he'll send his wife to recycle. All this kind of stuff. Very mm-hmm. good. Yeah, no, yeah, I like this one a lot. And that takes us to our next story. You are Mean Machine. Then this story is mostly a showcase for Greg, or sorry, scripted by John Wagner, art about Greg Staples, letting her about Tom Frame. And this one's really, I think, a showcase for Greg Staples' art. We've got Mean Machine running riot through a Mega City One jail, crashing a transport jet, just butt headbutting his way sort of across Mega City One and into the cursed earth. And it's really great. There's just these really great big, big images of like mean looking, looking big and close up on his head being like, is that so? And that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, the text is built on stuff that on, on something that that we saw a fair amount, actually, in sort of the early days of 2000 AD and specials and stuff, which were these you are Judge Dredd or something like style of choose your own adventure stories where you kind of run through a scenario periodically there's like a b or c choices and you those choices then at the end you sort of have a score and you sort of score yourself on like how much like judge dread you are or not mm-hmm. in this case it's me and machine though so the answer to every question is basically just keep headbutting mm-hmm. headbutt him all right <laughs> be dumb headbutt him <laughs> that kind of stuff hey if it works <laughs> it works you know uh, uh i say don't knock until you try it uh, mean Machine, very much the definition of um, when all you have is a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail in this situation. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and the, the the overall conceit is that if you get enough questions right, you can send in your results and you'll get Mean Machine cybernetics installed into your own head. Mm. But at the end, they say, ah, we're out of uh, Mean Machine kits. But mm-hmm. they do say if you send... 
a um a limerick starting with the word a man with a dial on his head in they might send you some original pencil art from this comic to you Ooh. which if you won would be worth a pretty penny these days a lot of greg staples stuff goes for like a thousand for, for thousands of bucks Ooh, that's great <laughs> eli i did a limerick for this would you like no, to hear it i would love to hear it all right poetry a man with a dial on his head went into town to fight dread. He just ran amok, his head going bock, and in the end, 50 people were dead. Oh, All right, there we go. Goodness. Good limericking. Yeah, you win. I mean, that's quality <laughs> stuff right there. Doing my best. Listen, I got, I got a humanity, I got a history degree with a minor in English, so whatever. <laughs> Here we go. Our final story is called Free Fall, script by John Wagner, art robot Jim Vickers, letting robot Tom Frame. Uh, we see Judge Dredd arrive on the roof of the Brooker Watts block to find a woman in a trench coat standing on the ledge of the building. He says not to, but she jumps. She falls, thinking of the passage of time and the nature of the force of gravity and things like that. She wonders how far it is to the bottom um, and if she'll see her life flash before her eyes before she lands. Dread orders traffic stopped around her landing zone, and the woman wonders why we bring children into this world, and how her son fell in with the wrong crowd. In a flashback, we see Dread and a white-helmeted rookie judge burst into the woman's apartment. They're looking for her son. Uh, she's Mrs. Grout. Her son is Huck or Hucky. We learn that she's on antidepressants and classified as unstable, but the rookie rejects arresting her for not reporting her son being on drugs. The uh, the, the uh, cadet then reveals that Hucky's been caught selling drugs to school kids that were laced with poison. Two were dead, three in the hospital. In the present, Mrs. Grout continues to fall, thinking that her son broke her heart. But she can't really blame him because this city grinds people down. It squeezes the good out of the mega city ones a real shithole just so we all know <laughs> um later we see hucks uh talking to his uh sneakily speaking to his mom on the street he needs money to escape the city but she won't give it to him she tells him to face the music and be a man but he's like that's dumb and grabs her money and runs off as he does though a citizen flags the kid as a mugger and a passing judge, Hayes, open fire, shooting him in the head. Whoa. Good Lord. Mrs. Um, Grout yeah, visits her son in the hospital where he's on life support. And that same cadet judge from earlier says that once he's recovered, he'll be moved to the cubes. She can't bear to see him like this. And when the cadet leaves the room, she takes her son off of life support and escapes. Dread fails the rookie on the spot for leaving the mother alone with her son and then follows her up to the roof and to the start of the story. So we sort of closed that loop there. <laughs> she thinks that killing her son was the only way to save him from this city. She feels calm as she herself uh, meets the pavement, splatting on the sidewalk in a pool of blood. Dread tells the rookie, you can't trust citizens ever. They, they, they're too unpredictable. And then just orders a cleanup squad to mop up the remains. The end. <laughs> yeah, this one was also a oddly poetic one. Something. Uh, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's an interesting counterpoint to the two uh, to bury my knee for sure. Mm, right. 
<laughs> like judges are also like like for every one time that a judge is is kind or helpful or bends the rules or something like that there's a bunch of times where they're real tough and they'll shoot you in the face yeah. <laughs> and like they don't care about the citizen and, and they have no sympathy for the plight of the citizens you know mm, right right yeah yeah it's um uh, i mean naturally um Mega City One isn't my, you know, top ten fantasy destinations to ever visit. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a terrible place. But uh, seeing some of these other sides of it are very interesting. Uh, and also taking yeah. that um, married and family route um, at a level of intimacy and like compassion that um, I don't know. It's it's always refreshing when you get, get hit with some of those the feels where it's like yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Almost, uh, you can put yeah. yourself in their shoes. Like, would that be me if I were in the that world? Maybe I don't know. Making, yeah, when they when, when they make a grasp at my at, at my blackened and dead heart, right. I, I appreciate the effort. Certainly, I don't feel feelings anymore, but you know, I appreciate that they think that I would. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, very fun. I thought these were this is a really interesting set of like series of stories i guess you know we've had a couple longer stories especially with like um mechanismo and stuff mm -hmm. i think having a bunch of one-offs and especially one-offs that really sort of just talk about non-judge stuff in mega city one is mm -hmm. really interesting yeah, you know? yeah and i think it's something something that can't be said enough that when there's not some big bad that's threatening all of reality like the judges are the bad guys in Mega City One stories. They aren't like right. these are not really heroic characters. You right. know, like you like a real hero is someone who who, who would fight against the judges, not the judges themselves. Mm -hmm. you know? Right, but the judges are going to win. I think that's been some of the oh, a lot yeah. of the stories is like, wow, this character actually cares. Maybe they'll be a hero and stop the judges. And the judges like, nah, we're we're too prepared. We're everywhere. 100%. We know everything. And we'll crush yeah. You. Oh, yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. No. It's it's not good being a Mega City One. Like you don't want to do it. You'd want to go to other realities. It's fine if you're I, I, picking from a menu. I also think it's it's interesting. I'm trying to figure out if that could be a story. If if I was going to make a Judge Dread story, it would mm -hmm. be me trying to create a character that could take out the judges' system. And I think that would be so hard to do. I don't even know where I'd start. They have the side division. I don't they have think, yeah. They I don't think you could do it because okay. I feel like, you know, that's such like any character that could take down the judges would be such like a Mary, uh, Mary Sue or right. whatever, exactly. you know, one of these like, you know, characters that's made up to be all powerful and uh -huh. all able to take things out and stuff right. like that. I yeah. think part of the what's interesting about Mega City One is that they sort of go with that. You know, the judges aren't great, and that's just what the reality is. Mm, you know, they are I effective. feel like, yeah, mm. but I feel like, you know, oh, yeah, no, liberty and freedom will prevail. Not always, mm. not always the greatest, like, not, not always the most realistic setup. Yes. You know, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to try to come up with a, uh, a premise for a Judge Dread story that, uh, It'd have to be like an organization. I'll think about that later. But. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, listen. Hey, in our own in, in our own fan fiction, we can do whatever we want. Yeah, we exactly. It's fine. Right. <laughs> Live it up. No rules. Just right. Um. 
<laughs> but I guess we, we, we've just talked a lot about Mega City 1, so let's spread out a little bit and look at some other parts of the Judge Dredd world, starting with Story 2, Cal Have Justice. Script Robot Jim Alexander, Art Robot Lowell, Letting Robot Annie Parkhouse. So this one's also picking up from last episode, as we see ju- uh, Cal Hab, ju- Judge Toughman Ed McBrain lay flowers at the grave of Helen Dazzle, that woman who died in a car accident in our previous installment. His partner, Bookin, says he's done all he can and should maybe take a break because he's just taken a lot of this stuff hard recently. But he says, no, he's got to be back on the streets. Of course, he's tough. Meanwhile, Psy Judge Shahalian is raging because his wife isn't pregnant and they thought that maybe she was or something. And this has put a massive strain on their relationship. Shahalian says he needs to have the kid to seal his birthright. I I don't know. He storms off to his room. You wouldn't understand. He's not going to clean that room. And what he does, he goes in and it's full. got a bunch of it's like a danger room like X-Men. And he just starts beating up combat robots to lighten up his mood and to commune with the spirits. And as he does this, he has a memory of being a newborn baby crawling out of the ground among a bunch of like standing stones in the moors of Scotland. It's a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> um, the, meanwhile, um, there's an intruder alert where he is, and then we cut to a bus stop at the Downray nuclear plant. Some workers complain about the poor conditions when one of them is suddenly possessed by some kind of spirit, talks to another worker in his mother's voice, like the voice of the worker that he's talking to his mother, I don't know, and then explodes, blinding the other man. At Calhab, Justice Central, Shahalian, looking rough, walks into the chief inspector's office, puts him to sleep with magic powers, and then goes to read his own personal data. He finds something called a beta file, and then, like, kind of passes out, I guess. Or freaks out, destroys the console and stuff. Other judges go to see what's up. They find Shahalian on the ground, saying he's cold and his fingers itch. There's some kind of sparkle in his black eyes as he stands up and slashes a judge with X-22 claws on his hands. That's when you got two claws. Right. Coming out of your hands, Eli. If you had three, they'd be Wolverine claws. Right, you know what exactly. I'm talking about. I know here. exactly what you're talking about. Okay, good. I want to make I want, I want to make clear that we all know. <laughs> I guess I, I guess modern Wolverine because I because I guess that she she X22 took over that name. But still, anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm not gonna. You know, you can't tie me in by making me claim to know current Marvel continuity, Eli. I don't know it. I can't right. be responsible for it. <laughs> X22 claws. <laughs> At the bird unit, a man, um, a woman checks in on that guy that exploded in the previous store uh, in, in the previous issue. He warns her that bef- before his buddy died, he had a vision of his mother and tells the lady to go check on their son because he's in danger. The woman runs out as narration explains that that child was born two days after the man, the man's mother, like this. One guy's mom's death and his mom was always on his ass about having kids and procreating and stuff. And then the kid was born two days after she died. And so there's like unfinished ghost business here, Eli. That's the the ghostliest kind of business. Unfinished business. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The chief inspector is recovering his text work on on a dead judge. And McBrain, and, and McBrain plays I Told You So About Jehalian, who is insane and on the loose, as you do. 
The chief inspector has McBrain go interview Shahalian's wife as judges try to, uh, you know, tap things down and nip this situation in the butt. <clears throat> Talking to the wife, we learn that he's been hearing voices more than usual. It's like, you know, he's a psyker, so he always kind of hears voices. But this is more than you'd expect. Right. And he's been wild and unpredictable. Um, she thinks things will work out, but McBrain is not so sure or thinks things will work out, but in more of a, ah, we've shot him dead kind of way, basically. <laughs> right. Um, more judges approach to guard the wife as McBrain goes to confront what Shahalian has become at the Morrison block, possibly a reference to Scottish comics writer uh, Grant Morrison. Judge fondly enters an apartment where a that where a zombie grandma is menacing that kid from earlier. <laughs> he manages to secure the kid, but once he does, the grandma suddenly grows a giant maw of teeth and just chomps him down. <laughs> Shahalian's on the run when the body of Judge Fondly uh, finds him and is possessed by a spirit and just starts to warp and twist in unnatural ways. McBrain's talk called to investigate, and we see Shalian speak. He says he was born of earth and stone, the physical manifestation of the spirit of the Moors of Scot of Scotland. Um, the spirit possessing fondly says it yearns for sacrifice, then awakening, does something to Shahalian, and then fondly seems to retake his consciousness, and Shahalian sort of kills him. Meanwhile, McBrain is approaching, but jings and things. There's a giant wall of terrifying faces barring his way. Oh, there's ghosts afoot in Calhab. So we pause briefly just to talk a little bit about Calhab mythology, the cry of the banshee, the claw of the harpy, and just how unfinished business generally is a big motivating factor for the malevolence of the Moors. Um, now it seems Shahalian has called the, all of the spirits of Calhab to wreak havoc upon the land. Bad times. McCrick. McBray's coming to after being knocked out by a bunch of these ghosts and monsters, and then is suddenly haunted in a very in-your-face way by the ghost of Helen Daziel, the lady whose, whose grave he, he went to earlier. Judge Buchan is looking for McBrain, but is attacked by zombie by a, by zombie kilt dudes, you know, sort of Highland clans uh, clans members. Um, suddenly then she's also confronted by a guy she shot during a grain uprising who was like a master swordsman and he's haunting her because she Indiana Jones him, and he's not pleased about that right. basically really rude move really <laughs> absolutely with no choice McBrain shoots Dazel uh, putting her out of her misery and then gets a radio call it's Shahalian wearing some kind of ancient e evil garb floating to McBrain and it's time for a final showdown all right, ghosts are popping up all over. Some squatters that a apartment-owning couple had killed by a local serial killer to get them out of there, back alive and wreaking havoc. Meanwhile, Judge Buchan has learned enough of the sword to fight the ghost on equal bounds, and thus his unfinished business is completed, and he disappears. Fair enough, I guess. <laughs> right. McBrain runs to confront Shahalian, but is stopped by some witches with a cauldron, Macbeth style. They offer him the chief inspector's judge, but he's like, no way, that job's a lot of work, I don't want it, and so they disappear as well. <laughs> he goes to check something, and Shahalian gets the drop on him. He asks McBrain, who am I? And McBrain says Shahalian is an experiment gone wrong, a schizoid freak. Um, and 
now he's killing judges too and that's just the final line you've really messed up this time you jerk um Shahalian talks about his memories from the Moors, but McBrain says those were all created and implanted into his head, Blade Runner style, mm. to just give him like a birth identity. So he'd be like a dude, be able to handle things and stuff like that. But in the end, Shahalian realized something was wrong and this beta file just proved it. He's gone crazy, mainly because I guess he was really motivated to have children with his wife. But they sterilized her. Whoa. Oh, no. That's driven him around the bend. Yeah. McBrain says they had to do it and stabs him right through the chest, killing him, it seems. McBrain starts dying, calls the spirit to him, and all the ghosts disappear. The day is saved. And now I guess it's time to pick up the pieces. And we'll do that next episode. Yeah. Uh, yes. Cal have justice. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot going on. Yes. It feels like one of those things where they're like you know what i haven't drawn in a while a cool zombie fight scene let's do that and then why though hmm hmm maybe yeah some sort of birthright ritual thing uh it felt mm. very fe- felt very loose uh but it i think it did accomplish it it was very cool it was cool as long as i didn't have an- I question think anything <laughs> i think it's okay at best i guess <laughs> no. i don't know uh, I- there's just a lot going on in here, and I'm like, I, 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 I hope my recap made a little bit of sense because I'm very much, I'm very much putting things together, right. like not getting a lot of it. I uh-huh. like, I like the art style. I think, I, or I think it's interesting, but I think we've talked about before. It does struggle with legibility. Yes, I think that that much. that's continued, and you know, it is one that I think it's easy to sort of just lean back and kind of look at the pictures or something and not (laughs) really try to process it that much. And I don't think it's trying very hard to tell the story it's telling, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. It was, um, uh, yeah, I had trouble with the art style, but, um, during the action scenes, um, it had much more strength. Um, but then whenever it was doing establishing shots of like trying to set up, um, or, you know, give exposition, it really struggled because you're like, wait, who's that? Where are they? Why is this going on? What's happening here? Death, yeah, especially when it comes to, like, differentiating between characters yes. and kind of, you know, that way of being like, oh, here's this guy, he does X, mm. here's that guy, he does Y, that that kind of thing. Right, exactly. It is kind of a challenge, I yeah. guess. Yeah, uh, but, uh, yeah, I tried to cut the brain off and just enjoy fight scenes and i enjoyed it much more when i did that um but I, yeah I, th- I think the fights are good i think th- and i think there are some really neat images in here you mm, know right. just especially yeah of like when bad guys reveal themselves and stuff like that i think those mm. can be really neat for mm. sure yeah yeah but i definitely don't think it's gonna no. make it uh make top of the list uh but anyway, we'll, we'll get to that later. That's a whole different thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we continue on, though, let's take a quick break with covers, editorials, and dreadlines. Just all these all the non-story stuff for this period of comics. Starting with issue 45, Pan-African judges enforce the law by any means necessary. That famous Malcolm X quote, of course, as we see Judge Kwame standing in front of the African continent, Art by Siku. 
The editorial welcomes us to a new year as we get close to the 17th anniversary of Judge Dredd. And there's credit text, which I've been skipping a bit recently. Sorry, but this one says a young gift in black like the Nina Simone song. Mid-issue, we, we see the first of several teasers for the upcoming issue 50 of the magazine, which we'll see next episode. Um, this one feature is about the uh, the coming space travels of Judge Anderson. We're going to get some get some postcards of her time in space, yeah. which I'm interested in. Yeah, excited about that. <laughs> yeah. Then the issue ends with letters. Several discuss the looming crisis of confidence with Chief Judge Magruder of Mega City One. Heat praise on the taxidermist. And there's a letter making fun of a friend of the show, Martin Price. Boo, don't do that. Uh, be cool to our to people who will, who will listen to this podcast 28 <laughs> years in the future. Come on. Think about it. The future. <laughs> issue, uh, issue 46, Highland Warriors. Lol draws Judge McBrain with Claymore drawn. The credit text says there can only be one, of course, Highlander stuff, which is good because it's swords and Scots, of course. <laughs> the editorial talks up Bury My Knee, that story, and then continues to plug issue 50. Um, there's an ad for 50 touting the return of the Missionary Man story. There's also an excerpt from the Medusa Seed in uh, Dread novel by Dave Stone. This one was a crossover with Dread Armitage and Side Judge Ch uh, Karen with some stuff about the serial killer Albert Fish mixed in. Um, Dreadlines has, a, has some back and forth letters. I, either there aren't enough judges in the magazine or there's too many judges in the magazine. Mm. And is the magazine going downhill? Can it return to its former quality? <laughs> That's what we're talking about. And some very long and semi-defensive responses from the editor as right. well. Right. You know? Like you do. <laughs> yeah. Issue 47. You are Mean Machine. This very detailed and craggy face of Mean Machine by um, artist Chris Hall, a.k.a. Chris Cunningham. The credit text says American Psycho. And the editorial teases more emotional dread stories. This one's sort of talking up sort of the free fall story. That'll be in the next episode as well as the previous Wounded Knee one. There's a teaser for new Shimora tales in uh, issue 50. Shimora, colon, outcast. It's interesting. And in Dreadlines, uh, comic dislikers Matt Nixon and Solano are back to troll the content of the magazine for their fellow writers. Get a message board, you jerks. <laughs> and I should say in this one, there's even an, an American reader moving in on yours and mine's bit, Eli, of being American that reads Judge Dredd stuff. That's right. There can only be one or two. Yeah, or come on. Only a handful, I guess. Only a couple. Yeah, yeah. come on. <laughs> <laughs> Issue 48, Mark Wilkinson draws Dredd looming over the city. The Grand Hall of Justice in the middle. I, I like this one a lot, actually. I love whenever there's just a big Dredd cityscape. I like the, you know this style of thing. Hmm. Lots of blues and yellows in this one, too. It's very, like, kind of, I don't know, bright, I guess. Or <laughs> dark, but, like, illuminated like a city at night. That's what I want to right, say. Right, yeah. The credit text says, Black of Hearts. And this editorial is more focused on the coming issue 50 very soon. And there's also an ad to get your subscription locked in at the current price because the price will go up when 50 comes out. So, you know, get on that. And there's a there's a teaser for more for uh, the creep meeting judge death in issue fifty, which I am questionable about. I don't know about this creep guy. <laughs> I'm not into it. Right. Uh, well, uh, Judge Death will probably save it. He's always a wacky character when he's not getting kicked in the nuts. So do appreciate some Judge Death. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Dreadlines have a couple uh, more varied perspectives on recent stories, more Matt and Solano, more complaints about Matt and Solano. Also, there's mention that starting an issue 50, there's going to be an extra 50 page or an extra, Jesus Christ, not 50, an extra eight pages per issue of the magazine. And that's a lot. Eli, I'm going to have to like rethink our episode structure for the rest of this year. There's going to be like 50 pages per episode for per issue that's too many right, Two, right. 200 pages per per episode right right too what, many for me right what do we look like big nerds with no free with a, a bunch of free time well listen listen i'm not we'll, saying that i have, that i don't have free time i'm saying that you know i'm saying i have other things that i want to do with my copious free time right like, i got video games to play and stuff right, exactly. i got board games you know? and manga to read and i, I get it yeah now you're you're putting things out like right. you're 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 on the on the supply side now. You don't got time for this. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll rejigger some of our uh, releases right. and stuff. It'll be fine. Perfect. Anyway, <laughs> there's also a rundown of the recent dread novels, and I got to figure out a way to do that as well. Got to figure out how to talk about these dread novels. There's too many that I have not discussed on the podcast yet. I'll find a way. But that takes us to the end of the non-story stuff, Eli, and that's good. Because it's time to once more see some judges from other parts of the world. In this case, story three, Pan-African Judges. Here we go. To Africa and the crazy multicultural judges that enforce the law there. Script robot Paul Cornell, art robot Siku, letting robot Gordon Robson. So we see our Pan-African judge crew on their white hover bikes and long white cloaks arrive on a section of the African savanna uh, discussing how this land was bought by a rich trader who paid trader who paid for there to be rain but the hills moved it around here and where the rain ended up there's too much debris from the credit war and it's a whole thing but they're actually here about this giant corpse that looms in front of them the massive rib cage of a mastodon this like huge like sort of you know 20 foot tall um elephant Elephant, ribs big enough to like build a house in basically (laughs) um they see that the tusks have been taken and that's important um we meet the other african judge the or the other pan-african judges here on the crew there's turbaned judge rashid el sadiq who is like sort of is um is muslim and keeps that faith very close to him there's judge smith who's a communist and keeps his communism very close to him as well (laughs) um calls people comrade and talks about marx and stuff and there's judge kit who will learn who is a uh, is a white dude and has a afrikaner uh, heritage a south african heritage and is very apologetic about that i guess (laughs) the or you know like sort of you know, feel seems to be trying to sort of redeem sort of his his people's history. Ooh, right, right. Worthy. That's a good. You know, that's yes. a, a worthy call. I think. Right. Very interesting. Um, I, I don't want to minimize <laughs> South Africa being like apartheid. South Africa being real shitty. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Um, the tusks. The the tusks of the mammoth have been removed by a portable argon laser, and Judge Kwame seems to believe that this means it was done by an old enemy named Van Busen. They bury the mammoth's body, and oh, and it it can't be him, says Judge Kit, because you shot him in the head. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) They bury the mammoth's body, and al-Sadiq performs a ceremony based on the writings of on uh, some uh, Muslim-adjacent writings, which I'm not sure are real. I couldn't fi- find them from Googling. 
Um, they activate a tracer program to go after the poacher and head out. Judge Kwame also saying, like, bring up or download the most recent maps because apparently Africa or this Pan-African area is a land of shifting borders and new established countries and things like that. The uh, the uh, Guinea uh, development zone. The crew rides out and we see some narration boxes filling in for dialogue as the crew discusses uh, burying corpses versus recycle. Uh, the nature of communism, the Pan-African Committee, the legacy of racism within Pan-Africa. <laughs> I don't really like when you just have boxes with quote marks in them, Eli. You right. know, I like bubble. <laughs> I like bubbles, not boxes. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. I also I know they are running on limited time, but I also prefer to uh, the show don't tell element of a culture or society mm-hmm. when it's like yeah. something weird happens. You're like, oh, okay, I'm getting it. And when they're just like, and here it is. I'm like, oh, all right. This is, yeah, this is, this is very much, we've got an, like, an author's surrogate exists ex- exclusively to ask leading questions. We can talk about what the world is and right. stuff. Mm-hmm. Although I do really like this, the image on this page of oh, these yeah. judges on their hover bikes blasting across the savannah and stuff. Right. That's very cool. Yes. Uh, walls of text scare me, but then the art kept me around or else I would have ran past yeah. this page. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I really like Siku's art, but he does sort of like he 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 draws people very exaggerated. I think, mm, right? And it's is is very. It, I feel like it, it it is very interesting. He f- draws Judge Kwame as this brick shit house. That's really amazing. <laughs> like this guy is so buff, it's insane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so they ride in and they follow the tra- the uh, tracer to the People's Republic of Fredonia, which is apparently a pretty common fake country name in, in fiction. There was a Marx <laughs> Brothers movie about and other things like that. Although in 1992, there was sort of the planning stages for what, what in 1997 would become a micronation in Somaliland, sort of in on Eastern Africa, a bunch of... Uh, weirdos um sort of buying some local land and starting a nation of of their own on there like all micronations doomed doomed to failure and misery but that's sort of how it goes you know (laughs) anyway uh uh fredonia here has a communist government and the judges have no jurisdiction there whatever whatsoever Mm -hmm. they have to sneak in to do so, they send Judge um, they send Judge Smith in undercover, offering a nice cup of coffee laced with communist jargon and drugs <laughs> that knocks out the guard. They move in in street clothes, infiltrating the nation. And Kwame says that, or they, there's sort of some Michigas here where they tell uh, Judge Becky Steele to be quiet. And she's like, why? Because I'm a noisy woman? And she's like, no, because we're spies. And if we make too much noise, they'll, you know, twig that we're here and kill and, and kill us, mm-hmm. you know, execute us for right. breaking the law. <laughs> and indeed, even trying to be quiet, that does happen. They make a wrong move and suddenly they're open fired on. And rather than fight this entire nation, Judge Kwame surrenders. <laughs> In prison, uh, Judge Sadiq explains the five pillars of Islam to uh, Judge Becky, and or Judge Steele, I should say, and then they're summoned to the office of the Minister of Justice of uh, Fredonia. This minister, a Lex Luthor type, uh, trades barbs about the imperialist nature of, of the judge system. I really like this exchange, actually, Eli, where... Um, 
what is it? Hold on. Like, like where 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 Kwame says, like you know, we're Pan Africa judges. We're on. We're in hot pursuit of this guy one for crimes, and the the minister says, judges, I should have known. Divisionary slaves of the imperial on the the imperialist Megs, and mm-hmm. several of the judges are like. Well, yeah, but you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> sort of, but you don't have to say it like exactly that. Right. Like we're we're trying our like best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we know we're imperialists, but come on, be cool. <laughs> anyway, uh, Judge Steele makes an impassioned speech about you know the nature of law, justice, and stuff, and in the end, the minister just sort of sentences them to leave the nation at once, which is fine. Like that seems good. But the man to deport them is introduced at its deputy, Van Busen, the evil guy. Oh, and he's so evil. Right. He's got maybe a third of his regular face left and the rest of it's sort of this white rhino slash orc kind of look, basically. Right. Yes. There's big jaw, bottom jaw tusks and right. stuff like that. Clearly up to no and- good, just on principle. Absolutely. Plus, he I'll, I'll tell you, Eli, that he speaks with a with a phonetic South African accent, mm-hmm. like which also also marks him as a bad guy as well, yeah. for the record. <laughs> like, I, I'm not saying everybody who speaks the South African accent is bad, but I'm right. saying that if you're in a movie or a comic book with that <laughs> accent, you probably are a bad guy. Right. You know, right. Honestly, it's like having an English accent. It's like an English accent. But for people with English accents, you know, <laughs> right? I also think a uh, German accent usually puts you in villainy as well. Yes, uh, we don't that have too. Enough, we don't yeah. have enough representation in comic books yet, guys. We're still working on it. But one day, it's just I th- that's when we'll know we made it. Is when you can just have an accent. I, th- <laughs> I think the problem is also is that German accents don't show up in comics that much because if you start writing it phonetically, uh, it right. gets a little silly. Mm-hmm. You know, right? So, Ooh, oh. yeah. You know. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> anyway, we reminisce about the past. Schwa- uh, Kwame shot Van Busen in the head during an ivory deal in Cairo, but didn't finish him off. Instead, he was healed by a Fredonian doctor who used that stolen ivory to rebuild his face. So now he's like made of the thing that he tries to sell and they're trying to stop him from poaching ivory, but he's made of ivory. And that's all this. It's very, very rich symbolism here, Eli, just FYI. (laughs) Anyway, now he works for Fredonia and he'll take these judges to the border the hard way. The judges are stripped and tied to a hover car by chains around their necks and waists, their hands tied behind their backs. They're dragged this way. Oh, sorry, I should say, um, Van Busen offers to give Judge Kit a ride in the hover car and not sort of mess with them this way because he's white too. And so, you know, just putting some racism on. Just some... Just some quick racism here, just to sort of establish that that this guy is evil. So you know, the face wasn't a tip-off, you know. Right. <laughs> so they're dragged away, dragged across the ground as they go. As they do, steel falls in her face and gets dragged face first, basically. It's real bad, and soon the entire crew passes out from their wounds and awaken to find themselves hung upside down from the branches of a le- of a leafless acacia tree. Um, they've been left for the sun and the predators, as presumably the Fredonians go to uh, 
you know, hunt some more ivory. Be 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 bad guys. <laughs> right. Ivory's not gonna hunt itself. Absolutely. Gotta be evil. There is a lovely, if sad, shot of the sun rising over the chain judges. You can see like streams of blood floating from the tops of their heads as they hang and stuff like that. And then again, Siku just going crazy as we get close-ups of their battered faces and everybody's got like everybody's eyes are all swollen shut and they right. got like bruises and scars and stuff. Yeah. It's pretty rough. Um yeah. Kwame and Kit take the uh, take the toll of things. Smith's been knocked out. Sadiq's gone mad. Uh, Beck uh, St- Steele is silent. Her face apparently ruined. She is hallucinating about abusive practices and harassing coworkers in the Britsa Judge Department, and then a sinister skull judge staring down at her. But we see that because she's hallucinating and out of it, she doesn't even like cry out or anything when a vulture takes a chunk out of her arm. A hyena waits beneath the judges as a thunderstorm nears. Kwame uh, talks about buying his own land someday and starting his own country. And he and Kit talk about like farming and there are some metaphors about long-term planning as we just sort of get a real good look of uh, Kwame's jacked muscles. Ooh, he's looking good. Um, (laughs) Some lions join the hyenas as Smith complains about the crappy style of communism in Fredonia. Why can't they be the kind of communist that I am? When suddenly (laughs) a lightning bolt hits the tree. The judges start to free themselves, but the tree catches fire and it starts to collapse. But Becky's still chained to it. Oh, no. (laughs) And in our final part of this story, we start with Becky dressed in white, looking into a mirror. She's a little scarred up, but not looking as bad as they were talking about. Like they might seem like she didn't have a nose or something. She's doing okay. (laughs) We learned that they were saved by a merchant named Abu Ahmed. Um, and then sort of just how they got saved by one of his sons from the fire and stuff like that. Becky's reluctant to go outside with her injuries and tries to compare herself to Judge Dredd. And, you know, of course, Judge Dredd was enforcing the law when he didn't even have any skin after Necropolis. He was dead man, Judge Dredd, for a while in there. But Sadiq tells her not to uh, compare herself to that Judge Dredd, but instead to think of a story of a previous Judge Dredd, that's D-R-E-A-D, a guy, an Ethiopian who went to Jamaica as a judge, sentenced everyone on the island to long prison sentences, but then pardoned them all, saying, I am a judge, but I know how to dance. Mm. And this seems to inspire Sadiq, or to inspire Steele as well. Uh, Sadiq then decides to introduce her further to the tenets of Islam, as you do. Meanwhile, Kwame is wandering the streets, interrogating minor merchants about selling in ivory as Abu Ahmed comes with him and basically just tells him to lighten up as he goes. <laughs> Kwame's very weak on his feet, stumbling and needing help to, uh, to walk. And suddenly Becky's there revealing that she's converted to Islam and shows him also a strange art piece carved into the face of Van Busen. <laughs> There's some discussion here and then a call that there's a thief escaping. The judges tackle him and make him give the location of where to find Van Busen. And later they're in the Savannah getting back into uniform to take there and they're getting back into uniform only a few hours away from a possible showdown. Kwame makes it clear they're going to enforce the law and that's it. There's no justice. There's just us. Mm. Next time, red all over. 
Yeah, interesting story so far. Uh, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not getting the point yet. I think they have some things they mm. want to tell me and say, talk about, but there's a lot <laughs> of other stuff going on. So I'm like, is that the yeah. point you're trying to make? Is that what you get? Oh, no, maybe it's this thing. Uh, okay. It's got, yeah, there's a lot of themes going on in Pan-African judges at once, mm. I guess. Yeah. Because there's like, because there, there's themes of like, just sort of, of a, like concepts of post-colonial Africa, mm-hmm. um, right. things about, like there's a lot of, of, frankly, a lot of talk about both sexism and racism right, right. W- within these pages. Mm-hmm. Um, impossible like, beauty standards, re- you know? There's yeah, a, impossible beauty like, standards, <laughs> both in the art and in the discussion, for sure. Right, yes. Um, stuff about religion and, mm. you know, like, it's just the fact that, like, there is an extended, like, a monologue just about the five pillars of Islam is really mm-hmm. weird to me, I guess. Right. Just in terms of, like, out of place, I guess, or just not something I expect to see and hear, right. I guess. Yeah, it's one of those things where you're trying to figure out, you feel like they're leading clues to the point but then you're like these are contradicting though or is this a clue to tell me that i need to know this or that it doesn't matter i don't know it's uh, and there's like stuff about like poaching mm -hmm. and like i guess this sort of like relative lawlessness or Mm -hmm. like the difficulties of developing of like westerners taking advantage of developing countries and stuff like that yeah just it's a there's a lot of ingredients in this dish eli basically (laughs) Yeah, uh, and I yeah I do feel like it could be just you know time limit like hey we're only going to be in Africa for this story for so long we got to kind of touch everything but I think it would have been better if they would have just like maybe focused on a thing focused it down and then maybe revisited it later yeah but you know I so maybe that's not uh, I agree yeah it really feels like they like said you've got six issues and so they were and so Cornell and Seiko were like all right well we've just got to put. Every every single thing that we can in in or th- that we want to cover into mm-hmm. it here, because right. we might not get another bite of this apple, basically. Right. Yeah, and also it's um, I also a little disappointed that they didn't go a little bit more into the sci-fi stuff. Like to me, it just seems like they actually mm-hmm. got some info about modern Africa and then kind of just kind of threw it all in there. And I'm like, well, besides the giant mammoth elephant and like people able to have mammoth tusk faces there's not a yeah. lot else going no, on i agree i would have loved to see some some some, some afrofuturism in here mm-hmm. i just some 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 wakanda stuff yes is, is how <laughs> how i think you'd you'd talk about it in in, in the present day uh-huh. you know yes absolutely yeah maybe that's what it is i've seen black panther 2 recently so now i'm like man I've, this other African mythos is lacking. I think it adds it more. It does. <laughs> I, I feel like these days, this story is definitely in the shadow of that movie, for sure. <laughs> of just like, you know, we, like there's a standard, I guess. And right. so, you know, if we're, if we're going to do African stuff, we've sort of got a, got a decent template for it now, you uh, know? Right. And it's freaking cyber rhinos running amok. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in right. the big final thing right I like that. Uh, okay, anyway yeah okay we yeah i was gonna i had a whole rant about how much i like the black panther universe but we can we can skip that one for now and uh i mean i think we can both take it as red or sort of as just like you know right. <laughs> black panther's good man i'm excited for the for the new movie this right. this, this fall you know yeah. I, do th- yeah I do wish that them one element 
it would be um, the uh, resources of Black Panther, how they have that uh, vibranium deposit and they mm-hmm. use it for all these different things. I feel like that's at least like low hanging fruit for um, an African themed story, just some sort of resource that's amazing there that yeah. everyone wants. Um, yeah. And I, I wonder if that just wasn't like, I feel like that's something that's way more, I don't know, that comes into my mind for African stories talking about whether it's like, either diamonds or like mm-hmm. just the materials that we use to make cell phones and stuff right. like that. Like all yeah. of these resources that are sort of exploited, you know, taken out of Africa basically yeah. that are a, a, a big problem, you right. know, and something that I think is important when you're talking about like what a just future looks like for, mm-hmm. for Africans, I yeah. guess. But I, uh, that, and, uh, yeah. Uh, I do want to say one more thing it, uh, that I noticed. It yeah, was yeah. Um, on the badge, it has the whole continent of Africa, which is way too big. Mm-hmm. I do think they could have used a different symbol and went with a smaller section of it. Because I think that is biting mm-hmm. off. I think that's why they're biting off so much. Is because they're like, all of Africa, let's do it. I'm like, if you would have just taken a sliver of Africa, you would have been that would have been plenty to work off of. It is it is true. I I love the name Pan-African Judges. I think mm. that sounds really cool. Mm. But it is just that's a massive landmass, right? Mm. You right. know, like I don't but I, I mean I don't know if like, you know, if like Ivory Coast Judges or something that like that been or as Congo cool. right. Congo Judges would have been as good, you know, mm. but Right, right. It's it's tough. And I like I want to say for the record I really appreciate the effort here or like mm. the move to it. Yes. Like Right. This one, and it kind of goes into our next story as well. Pan-African judges feel like they aimed high, you know? (laughs) Right. That they've missed because, like, not for lack of trying, I guess. Right. Yes, I I, I second that. (laughs) And that takes us to story four, Return of the Taxidermist. Script about John Wagner, art about Ian Gibson, about Annie Parkhouse. Finishing this one up, Eli. Oh, man. Excited about this one, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's the it's the final of the taxidermy program in the 2116 Olympics. Jake Sardini's working hard. It was a 12-hour time limit, and he's only used $430 or 430 creds and 88 cents of his hundred thousand cred uh, budget. <laughs> we see him in, instructing his assistant Hedda to hollow out the bodies, fiddles with some CO2 canisters, and has a vat of animal guts sort of just dropped nearby. <laughs> Um, as he moves the body, or as he skins the body, he bodies, he notices that many of them are there as a result of the civil unrest that he's assisted in creating by uh, taxidermying the Mahama, like the spiritual leader of this country, uh, in the, in our previous episode. These bodies are all stuffed with bladders full of animal guts. As Sardini sets timers on the gas canisters, ooh, mysterious. He finishes his arrangement, and it looks great. But Hedda warns him that without animation, he's doomed to fail. Sardini seems unconcerned, though, and declares his work done. Seven hours to go. Fine. Finished. I'm out of here. And walks off. <laughs> the lead commentator of the Omega City team is skeptical about this. We cut to the mountaineering event where the weather has cleared. Everybody involved is dead. Bodies are being dug out. Uh, the Balkans team was the furthest up when they died, so they're front runners for the gold. Meanwhile, the Mexican team quit early and is claiming victory because they're the f- last survivors, basically. Right. Mm, dilemma. <laughs> 
the, the yeah, the Mega City One team is still missing. I, I thought they were good. There was going to be a big reveal about where they were, but nah, they're just gone. That's it. <laughs> Meanwhile, the bronze medal winner in sky surfing has been disqualified for using caffeine, and we cut to the final of the staring competition. Twenty-two hours in, and Laser Gaze is at her limit, while her opponent hasn't even broken a sweat. Judging for the tax derby competition has begun now. There's a nice scene of a cat being pulled out of a tree, an ostentatious bagpipe parade, some keystone cops, and even a Gurkha charge appealing to the Nepalese hometown. These like uh, the Gurkhas or the Nepalese troops in World War II were armed with these cool knives called Gurkhas and they killed a bunch of Nazis with them. So, you know, trying to whatever, speak their history. Sardini's exhibit is up next. It's a recreation of his bronze medal winning explosion in a bus queue taxidermy. Um, we see a bunch of regular folks. They're just waiting for the bus, standing, at, uh, standing in line at a queue. It's stark, simple, beautiful work. The judges think it's great, but there's no animation. It's failed on the merits, and thus they have to disqualify him. A judge takes the microphone and formally disqualifies Sardini. But then, and Sardini's like, ah, I mistimed the timers. What's to be done? Tisk tisk. But then there's a hissing from one of the bodies. And then it expands and explodes. All the bodies do. They're popping all over the place, pelting the judges with animal guts. Now there's an explosion at the bus queue. <laughs> The judges are covered in gore and the crowd goes wild. It's a new technique in taxidermy. Um, um, and on the 2080 Megaverse Facebook group, uh, Willie, friend of the show, Willie, Wuss, Willie Russell compared this to Cornelia Parker's in art installation, Cold Dark Matter, An Exploded View, which is this big, full room modern art piece where um, that recreates like a shed that had been exploded at like the moment of explosion using like fishing wire to like hang the pieces of the shed and the stuff inside it and stuff like that. So you could walk around it like a moment stuck in time, like a like, like in the matrix when they like slow down, like explosions and stuff. It, right. It's like that, but in real life. Sorry. I, I went to go see it at uh, the Tate Britain when I was doing on a recent trip to London. That's real neat. Um, <laughs> Um, the judges reconsider their decision. The uh, the judges of the tournament, I should say, not actual judges, reconsider their ex their decision and requalify Sardini. He's no longer disqualified, and they give him perfect tens. <laughs> Else, um, he's won the gold and started a new trend in taxidermy. This gas explosion technique will come to be known as the Sardini. <laughs> Elsewhere, the staring contest final has reached 30 hours, and Laser Gaze finally gives up. Oh no! But shock horror. As she as they when they go to control to congratulate the winner, he keels over. He's dead! And based on the level of, re of rigor mortis in his body, he's died hours ago. <laughs> so Laser Gaze is just staring at a corpse. She gets the gold. Nice. <laughs> At the closing ceremony, Sardini has won, but is gloomy about having taxidermied the, the Mahama as that corpse gives a speech. The next Olympics will be in four years, we learn, at Antarctic City. 
But suddenly the body starts to fizz and crack. Its arms blow off. Everybody sees it's a fake. The people call for for justice and pull their Gurkhas as the announcer says that the Nepalis are master showmen. This is the greatest closing ceremony I've ever seen in my life. A revolution involved? Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Sardini says to Heda, to Heda, I warned them I was no good with robots. And <laughs> promises to tell her the long story on the way home. The end of the taxidermist! <laughs> Uh, and I'll tell you that the taxidermist will return in the pages of 2000 AD four years from now in 1998 for more Olympics, nice. I believe. Oh, snap. Excited about that. Yeah, yeah that's the end of this story. I thought this was really nice. Yeah, they did a great job. And uh, he won. I didn't know if they were going to do that, but he seems like a, a standard hero's journey through his experiences. He elevated to a new yeah. level of understanding. Where it didn't matter anymore. I'm going to blow them all up and then, you know, forget it. Yeah. yeah, they put an impossible restriction on him, but through things that he learned in the course of his adventures, was able to find a way to overcome that Ooh. restriction in a way that let him keep his ethics intact. You know, right. that kind of stuff. Yeah, He also seems like, uh, he doesn't seem uh, worried about consequences of these things. Like, I expect him to be like, oh no, are they going to be after me for messing up? He's like, yeah, well, I'll just tell you later. It's fine. Uh, maybe those. I think he seems com- me. Yeah. Uh, Maybe they won't. I mean, he's got the gold. What else? You know, he right. he, he he's accomplished his thing on Earth. You know, he can die happy. I guess. <laughs> no, but yeah, really like that. Uh, the story, uh, especially like some um, the um, staring contest conclusion. I thought that was great. Absolutely, uh, very clever done. Just like, oh yeah, he he died staring, <laughs> and then kept staring because he's dead. And then one, and then oh, well, oh yeah, he's dead though. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I like thinking he died as soon as he started. Like he was just like, right. oh man, time to start the staring contest. And then death, and then just been there for hours. He got one look at laser gaze, and that was all <laughs> yeah. she wrote. You know, right. exactly. <laughs> oh man, awesome! All right, so let's pretty much finish things up Eli uh one more th- story left and one sort of half story as we talk about story five Hark and Burr uh script robot size Spencer art robot Dean Ornstrom letting robot f- uh Fiona Spencer our antique collector friends in the cursed earth are on another adventure this time it seems Hark plans to get a thousand credits by winning a painting competition even though he's terrible at art though fancies himself an artiste, not like myself. We see Burr complaining down the local watering hole as Hark shows off his paintings as he switches around, basically images of himself in various settings or something. He does sort of a Mona Lisa, does some Impressionist stuff, does like a does Burr as like a Picasso Cubist kind of thing, um, and eventually goes to sculpting. And it seems like he's completed his work making a figure not unlike the uh, Maria, you know, Futura robot from that movie Metropolis. But when Mr. Burr comes, drunkenly comes home, he goes to see Hark's work and knocks it over. Oh, no. (laughs) The next day, the two rush the sculpture over for judging. It's hidden under a cloth. And Hark starts to present it as Burr reads the manual for the robot he used to make a replacement robot or a replacement sculpture, sees something wrong and goes to run after uh, Mr. Hark. Hark goes to pull the drop cloth and we'll see what happens right now. He removes the cloth. Oh, it's just a big, gross, mishmash robo dude. Boo. The old ladies that are judging this art contest want to toss him out. 
as Mr. Burr arrives and tells Hark not to do something, but it's not clear what. Hark tries to explain what's happened, and Burr arrives also, but before either of them can explain too much, a lightning bolt strikes and hits the robot, making it come alive, as you do. And it's extremely polite and friendly and stuff. Charms these old ladies, one of them buys it from Hark, and the old lady and the robot go about living their best lives, singing show tunes and stuff. Until the piano has a sticky key, and the bot goes on a rampage! Oh no! <laughs> Next time at Arkenburr, Coward's End? How fun. I don't know. Just some, yeah, just some Cursed Earth silliness here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is fine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I do actually, I would say, I actually really like some of the landscapes in here. Like, Ooh, oh Ornstrom yeah. sort of draws, draws this town as this city of row houses sort of stacked on top of each other, basically. Mm, yeah, no, the, uh, and I think that's really interesting. Yeah. They, artistically, the, um, it looks like it's a, uh, uh, hand painted, I assume acrylic or an oil with a uh, high contrast for the shadows. It's very, um, appealing for, to my artistic sensibilities. Um, it's more like just, um, I'm like, all right, so wh where's this, where's this going? I don't, I don't quite understand. Maybe I'm asking too much. Maybe things don't need to go places, you know, maybe you can just tell nah, a good story. They should. I feel like telling when you tell a good story, you do end up going places, if guess, not yeah. in terms of location, in terms of characterization and interest. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess, yeah. Cause I'd, say, I'd say keep your standards, Eli. Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to them. <laughs> Fantastic. And let's finish up one last thing. Story 6, Mega City Comics. These are little one-panel jobbies by uh, Robert McCallum. That they've been happening a lot in the comic, and I've been sort of—I I'd previously been covering them as part of dreadlines and stuff. But I'll give them their own section. Why not? <laughs> in issue forty-five, a man's being worked on by a robot massage machine when it suddenly goes haywire, and the man like hits it a couple of times, and the machine sprouts boxing gloves, and they're trading blows till finally a bell rings and a referee shows up to declare the machine the winner of a boxing match. <laughs> Next, a pair of uh, a pair of short strips. One, a reporter tries to get Mean Machine to comment on his various acts of violence, and instead has an act of violence perpetrated upon him. And another one, a hand puppet waves at Mean Machine, so he headbutts it and breaks the hand of the guy operating. Like you hand do, puppet. like you do. <laughs> and with that, Eli, we've come to the end of our stories for this issues forty-five to forty-eight. Of the Judge Dredd magazine. And thus I must ask you, first magazine of the year, what are your top and bottom stories? Um, now, it's weird. For some reason, an answer jumped out at me immediately. Like, usually I have mm. a little bit more struggle with this. So I want to explore it more. But, um, please, my top was um, uh, the taxidermist. And then my bottom was nice. Calhab Justice. They just, they mm. just grab it, went straight there. Uh, but, uh, there were a couple things that I thought of that I was surprised about. I was surprised I didn't like, um, let's see, uh, uh, the um, um, Pan-African judges was still pretty close on the bottom. I guess I'm still waiting to see if it all pans mm -hmm. out, uh, whereas I don't, I have such little faith that Cal have justice will, but I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's rude of me. But um, yeah, uh, Pan-African judges was also lingering down there on the bottom. 
But then uh, right there at the top was um, uh, the one about um, the husband who wanted to save his wife. Oh, yeah. Bury my knee at wounded heart. Yeah. But I think I think the reason I had that immediate uh, disconnect was that they were self-contained stories and then ongoing stories. So in my, apparently I have different mm. departments. I have a file of... Uh, hey, these are stories that are still going, and you need payoff for those. And then these other ones yeah. are like, oh, they're done. Yeah, we they're they're cool. We can just absorb those and accept them and judge them accordingly. Um, so nice. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense to me for sure. Yeah, but I do think uh, long form stories. Um, Taxidermist takes the gold, and then for self contained stories, uh, we have uh, what's the name of this one? Um, uh, Oh, I don't see the name. Where is that? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Judge Red, bury my knee at wounded heart. Uh, yeah, as top. So yeah, no, that's a uh, yeah. I didn't know that about myself. Very I'm, nice. lear- I'm learning so much, Conrad. Thank you for this <laughs> the opportunity. Um, Listen, that's all we do. We learn about okay. these. We learn about these comics. We learn about ourselves. That's the <laughs> that's the brief. That's what we're doing here. You know. Yeah, but uh, yeah. What are your top and bottom? <laughs> I mean, I'll. I mean, I'll certainly join you with uh, Calhab as my as my bottom story. I don't like that. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. I think to sort of talk about legibility stuff and mm. just like <laughs> what the fuck is going on here, cool. just kind of generally, cool. I guess. Le- legibility has such a huge mark for me. Like, uh, I think I judge it so much more harshly if I can't, if it's not legible. I think that's re- like I really agree, and I think that's reasonable. I okay. think before that, with a comic, before there's anything else, for me at least, I gotta know what's going on, yeah, right. and I gotta like be able to put together the narrative and stuff like that. And right. when that is a challenge, it brings the whole comic down. I guess I don't know. Like no, I agree that with might that. again that. That might be a be a me being a real square as well. Like, oh, Con- Conrad needs his narrative. You know, give the baby his bottle. You know, right. you can't just you can't just deal with weird stuff, buddy. You can't just let it go, flow through. Like, no, I got to write recaps. I don't know. Like, I've, I've right. set this job for myself. You know, yeah. it's, um, it's, it sounds like when uh, kids are trying to tell you a story, and they're like, one day I was doing this thing, and then that happened, and then I was over there, and then Grandpa said this. There were strawberries. And then I went they're to the store. They're like, so excited for these big moments that the connective <laughs> tissue is very weak. Absolutely. And you're like, whatever, kid. Freaking get away from me. <laughs> yeah. And I think if you're taking taxidermist as, as top, then I'll definitely take Judge Dredd as my top. I think there are some very cool Judge Dredd stories mm. in this section. Um, Bury My Knee at Wounded Heart was good. I thought Free Fall was pretty good as well. Mm, yeah. Um, I thought you are a mean machine with just sort of silly violence, which is which is also fun. <laughs> right. And same thing with um with the back half of it's a dreadful life. You know, I've got these connections mm-hmm. to these characters. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, having them come back and be all menacing everybody at once, you know, mm-hmm. is a lot of fun for me. You know, there's that one crowd section of all the baddies ganging up on Sabat and I kind of know everybody there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh man, it's those, it's all like, it's all the baddies together. This is awesome. That right. kind of stuff. That's funny. Yeah. It, that one <laughs> went right, right in the middle for me. Cause I love the art. And I love the idea, but I said my time travel stuff, I just couldn't, I couldn't let it go. I'm like, this is inconsistent, and I don't like it. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but still great. It's still great. Yeah. 
Totally. And that takes us to the end. I hope everybody enjoyed this show. So as you can find Big Mac One on iTunes, Stitch, Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMacOne.com. Contact us at BigMacOne at gmail.com. The 2084 Missouri Facebook and Twitter pages. Big Mac One, one spelled out. You'll find us and drop us ratings or reviews, wherever it is you're listening to us. Or if you just know somebody who's looking for a cool podcast, they're like, hey, I want to start getting into Judge Dredd. How do I get into Judge Dredd or 2000 AD stuff? You're like, well, I listen to Space Spinner. It's pretty good. Let's you in there, you know, tells you what you need to know, stuff like that, whatever. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Support the show. Get stuff. Come back next time as we reach the 50th issue of Volume 2 of the magazine. We'll finish all of our current thrills and start new ones with the return with new adventures for Missionary Man, Shimura, and Creep. And the return of both Judge Giant and Judge Anderson. I'm pretty excited about all that stuff. Yes. And and hope you are too, Eli. And until then, I'm Connor, there, Eli, and we are Big Mag One. Drock it. <laughs> <laughs>